everyone, and welcome to the Pactum. I'm Mike Grimes, here again with Pat Abendroth, and we are here for our final episode for our Marching with Machen series. We're going to be looking today at the seventh and final chapter of J. Gresham Machen's work, Christianity and Liberalism. His classic work, and he does say in the chapter, liberalism is not Christianity. And so let's keep that in mind. He says it's anti-Christian to the core. To the core. So if you're not familiar with the terms or the title, you're just joining us. When he says Christianity and liberalism, he means theological liberalism, hard to say, uh, even harder to believe, because the Bible is the Christian book, which emphasizes the supernatural, which emphasizes the depravity of humankind, emphasizes things like the bodily resurrection of Jesus, atonement through his substitutionary work, things that theological liberals or perhaps today's theological progressives would deny and reject. Reject. Machen is saying there is a Christianity. There aren't many kinds of Christianities, and it's high time that we separate the two. Yeah. So that kind of brings you up to speed, I think, to what the book is all about. And Machen is fighting for the faith uh, as a gentleman, no doubt, and yeah. as a scholar. Yeah. This final chapter we are going to be looking at today is on the church. And so we're going to kind of work our way through the chapter, some of the things he addresses and talks about in the chapter about the church. And it really is a fiery chapter, a wonderful one. We could quote the whole thing, but we, we don't want to put everybody to sleep. Yeah. Although you can go to YouTube and hear it read to you by different readers yeah. for free if you'd like to do that. I like to do it on the bike sometimes. And as we work our way through this, we're not giving you the outline ahead of time, though we have one, and it is alliterated. It is. So it is alliterated. Is it alliterated or illiterate-aided? Illiterate-aided, I okay. think. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. So Machen was not a Baptist, but I tried to use my Baptist homiletics uh, skills uh, to, to have us work our way through this. <laughs> so we start with the church's message. Uh, you might look, look or listen for ministry, ministers, message, missions. Oh, I just gave it mm, all away. It I is. shouldn't have done that. All or the M's. All from Machen. And then oh. Mike Grimes says, mm. Mm. So he's feeling the M flow of all of this <laughs> as well. So the church's message uh, is something that we can highlight from uh, the chapter. And he's calling the church to have its message be the gospel mm -hmm. and not something other than the gospel. Right. And what do you think Machen would say the gospel is if he were asked that question and he were a guest on our podcast today, Mike? I think Machen would say that the gospel is the good news. It is the message of Christ come to save those who were lost, to live a perfect life that would lead him to death on the cross where he would pay for the sins of those who would believe. He would be raised for our justification and for those who are placing their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Sounds good. Person and work. Sounds good. Person and work. Yes. So it's not a lifestyle. No. Uh, Machen says it's not the example of Jesus, though he was a perfect, perfect example. Yes. It's not the ideal of Jesus. So Machen draws this sharp distinction between what Daryl Hart says, a Machen scholar, uh, is the social gospel, though mm -hmm. Machen doesn't use that word, yeah. and the gospel. Yeah. And by social gospel, it would be uh, everyone, it's universal brotherhood of humankind, in a sense, almost like everyone is a Christian, and the church has a ministry to everyone to meet all of their needs, and so we're just going to show them the example of Jesus, and we're going to be nice because it's nice to be nice, and Jesus was nice, <laughs> and we're going to follow the golden rule. Yeah. Machen's saying, hold on a second, that's not what the 
the Christian church is called to. And not only that, that's not what the gospel is. The gospel is, as you said, the good news about Jesus, who he is, what he's done. We find forgiveness and reconciliation in him. And so Machen is worked up about this because the church has lost its way in what it's called to do and proclaim. And it doesn't lead to salvation. It leads to maybe being nice, um, but it's, it's not actually our calling. It's not Christianity. And it leads to all sorts of trouble when it comes to the church being confused about what its message is. Yeah. And I think you see this even nowadays uh, where you have churches that if you go and you look at their websites or you go to their services, their message seems to be about helping others and transforming culture and let's do things to serve and be like Jesus in the way that we help others, but there's no gospel in it. Machen says, hey, the message of the church is the gospel. It's the good news of Christ and what he's done. The message of the church is not, well, we can do good things for other people so they feel good. Isn't it intriguing how something good can become something bad? Right. So we can say, well, it's good to follow Jesus, and it certainly is good. The problem is we're not very good at it. Uh, That's why we're called sinners in the Bible. And before you know it, though, the church thinks the gospel is following Jesus, and we hear that sort of thing today. And all of a sudden, we're confusing what the gospel actually is with what the gospel is not, and we have a different religion. Lest we think that this is something that was only going on 100 years ago or that only goes on in theological liberalism today, just ask someone whether or not the essence of Christianity is that we should follow Jesus. Yeah. And if you ask people that, it seems to me like nine times out of 10 with evangelicals, even Bible-believing people, sometimes with seminary degrees, uh, they're going to say that's true. The essence of Christianity is following Jesus. Machen would say, no, no, it's not. That's, that's actually the law, not the gospel. So we're back to confusing those two categories. And yet so many times today, those who are Bible-believing, sometimes even supposed expository preachers that we know and listen and perhaps had, have admiration for... What they end up doing is they're aping theological liberalism. Uh, The church's message is the good news about salvation in Christ. It's true. We have to preach the law for the gospel to make sense. But when we confuse what the gospel is with what the law is, now all of a sudden we've completely lost our way. Yeah. So Machen is being very intolerant here. He's accused of being intolerant. He even recognizes that he is. But of all things to be intolerant for, it has to be when the Christian message is confused and the church is confused about its message. So where does Machen land on this business of the church being called to transform society, to transform the world? Well, to quote Machen, he says, but the main business of our lives will be to bring them to the Savior of their souls. So rather than having our church be about transforming culture with uh, meeting people's temporal needs, uh, we need to be about meeting their eternal need, and that is a need for a Savior. And so the message of the church is that of the gospel. There are so many good things, and there are so many things that people need in the world, and that's fine, but the church has not been called to philanthropy. Right. Uh, so Machen himself as an individual would have been involved in other things that would have brought about the greater good of society. Sure. He cared about politics. Uh, he cared about laws that he thought were just or unjust, but he's making a clear point here. The church is not called to do that or be that the church is called to preach Christ. Right. So transformation, do you think Machen would go thumbs up or thumbs down? 
Thumbs up. Thumbs up, absolutely. But in the ultimate sense, right, in right. the redemptive sense. Yeah. And if the world is going to change for good, ultimately, it has to be through that. Right. So today, as people want to transform Omaha and transform the world yes. and transform the culture and all of these things, it ends up being category confusion. Yeah. The church actually is not called to do that. And yet Christians are involved in the world at large, certainly want to do good things and lead to the betterment of society, yep. even though it's temporary. Right. Yeah. In one sense, if we think of the church with a narrower focus, it's probably helpful. Yeah. Let's do what only the church can do because there are many other quote unquote good organizations. I shouldn't say it that way. Lowercase G good organizations that are run by image bearers that can do temporal good. So let's let them do that. And let's have the church be the church by sticking to the script of its message. And the message is, as we've been saying, it is the gospel. Yeah. And this brings us to the matter of the church's members. More from M's there. Machen, from Machen. And he's also going to talk about the ministers. Yes. So I'm going to start speaking in tongues pretty soon if I keep <laughs> having all of these M words. But that will be really hard since the Bible is cessationist. <laughs> So the $60,000 question is in the chapter where he says, but what is the trouble with the visible church? Boy, if he can answer that, and he's going to, uh, that will be quite the answer. And in essence, he says the problem with the church today is the fact that it allows people to be members who don't even have an adequate prof profession of faith. Yeah. Uh, they, uh, it's an unconverted membership, really. Right. He says the admission of great companies of persons who have never made any real ado adequate confession of faith at all. So very interesting. Uh, he's saying the church is filled with unbelievers and they've never even made any kind of profession of faith, but it's okay because everybody's a Christian uh, regardless. And think about what a big problem that actually would be. And Machen would say it's not just the membership in general uh, that may be the problem with the visible church. He says, The church of today has been unfaithful to her Lord by admitting great companies of non-Christian persons, not only into her membership, but into her teaching agencies. And so that's really where he's a bit firmer. It's one thing to have people join the church who are weak in the faith, uh, who don't understand the faith, and they can become members. He's really putting the, the greater focus on the fact that you have pastors, you have those leading in ministry uh, on boards, making decisions, uh, providing leadership, again, uh, who are unregenerate um, or no profession of faith, or to even put a negative point on it, they actually have a bad attitude about the faith. Sure, yeah. They end up being enemies of the gospel, and yet they lead supposed gospel ministries. He says this is anti-Christian to the core. Yeah. So Machen says, listen, the answer to the question is, what's the problem with the church? It's not so much even what's outside influencing in. It's on the inside is the problem. And he goes on to say that this is actually dishonest of the church. Which is a big emphasis of the chapter. Yeah. The dishonesty of the clergy, the dishonesty of those who lead, uh, who are in leadership positions in the church or Christian organizations. Uh, they take vows, yeah. at least in his denomination. They take ordination vows, and they say they believe these things with a good conscience, a clear conscience. And yet it's as if they, it's as if they have their fingers crossed. Yeah. And once they're ordained and once, once they're in a position of leadership, uh, the way they talk, the way they teach, the things they promote are actually 
in stark contrast, utter contradiction to what their historic confession of faith teaches. Right. Machen says if they would just be honest, it'd be better for them to be honest and go start a church down the road with what you actually would hold to and believe. Just be honest about these things. Yep. It comes back to the fact that their domain name is taken. Right. But I don't think he would have known anything about that. No. So it's obviously wrong to say you believe something and will promote it and then not actually believe it and not promote it. Uh, I wonder if this was just an issue 100 years ago and maybe today people are more honest. No, I don't think it, I don't think that's the way it works. I think it's still a problem even today. Prove it to me. Well, I want okay. evidence. I'll give you evidence. I can recall when I was in school, I had a professor who actually encouraged us to take positions in churches, even if we didn't agree with what they taught, even if it wasn't in the denomination we agreed with or were a part of. He said, listen, that's a paycheck. You take it. It might be a means to an end to get you to the next job, the next job, the next job, to where you can finally maybe get where you want to be. But don't worry about the fact that you don't agree. Take the job. It's a paycheck. So I think it still happens. There's dishonesty. Okay, I'm convinced. I, there's, there's a real-life example. Yes. And one thing I was thinking about as I read the chapter was it, it's one thing if you have a confession, a historic Christian confession, uh, but even think about the fact that lots of churches don't even have one. Yeah. And so it's, it's even potentially a bigger problem. Right. There is... There is no ordination. Uh, there, there are no vows. There is no confession. It's pretty much personality, rock star status. You can promote whatever you want to. Yeah. And so it is no wonder that today we have so many who maybe are good speakers. Maybe they're good leaders. They're good fundraisers. Uh, but what they're promoting is not biblical Christianity, which is, again, a redundancy. Yeah. Uh, they're not qu- promoting Christianity. Uh, they're promoting something else. And so they end up not being faithful to the message. And it's a problem on the ministerial level of things. Yeah. Machen says that this issue often arises in connection with the choice of a pastor. I love this quote. Go go ahead with that one. It's a doozy. It is. He says, such and such a man, it is said, is a brilliant preacher. But what is the content of his preaching? Is his preaching full of the gospel of Christ? Gospel-centered, gospel-centered, gospel-centered. The answer is often evasive. The preacher in question, it is said, is of good standing in the church, and he's never denied the doctrines of grace. How about that one? (laughs) Well, we don't know what he believes, but he's never denied it. He's never denied it, right? I heard something like that, someone defending a seminary because they were compromising issues related to justification, and they said, Uh, well, they don't talk about it very often. (laughs) Makes it okay, I guess. So it is alive and well, even today. But I interrupted you again. That's okay. Machen goes on, therefore it is urged he should be called to the pastorate. But shall we be satisfied with such negative assurances? Shall we be satisfied with preachers who merely, quote, do not deny the cross of Christ? God grant that such satisfaction may be broken down. The people are perishing under the ministrations of those who do not deny the cross of Christ. Surely something more than that is needed. God send us ministers who, instead of merely avoiding denial of the cross, shall be on fire with the cross, whose whole life shall be one burning sacrifice of gratitude to the blessed Savior who loved them and gave himself for them. Fantastic. I love the conviction coming through. Yeah. Mike, this reminds me of an earlier section of our book that's related 
Machen does say that those who are theological liberals, uh, even as pastors, they talk a lot about Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so let's keep that in mind. It, just because you're talking about Jesus uh, doesn't necessarily mean you're a Christian preacher. Right. Because first and foremost, Christianity is about the work of Christ on behalf of sinners. It's not about following the golden rule or his great example, though that is important. It's not the essence of Christianity. Right. And so that's why we have crosses hanging in our churches, if we have anything hanging. It's about the work of Christ. And so we preach Christ. uh, And that's altogether different from just talking a lot about Jesus. If I wanted a paycheck only, or if I were a huckster Mm -hmm. uh, and wanted to pass myself off as a Christian so I could keep my job and 401k if I only had one, (laughs) but all of that kind of thing, I would talk a lot about Jesus. I would quote lots of Bible verses. uh, But what I wouldn't do is talk about his substitutionary work and the good news of what it means to trust in him. Yeah. So we want people to be discerning and discerning with Machen's help, but let's be clear, it's not enough just to talk about Jesus. Yeah. We want to talk a lot about Jesus, uh, but we want to talk about who he is for us. He came to save his people from their sins, yeah. as Matthew 1 says. Yeah. And I've heard people say many times before how much they love the pastor of their church. They just love how he speaks, and he's so encouraging, and they love the way he talks, and they love to listen to him. And, you know, I would just encourage people in in light of what Machen is saying here, let's not just go to churches and say, man, I love this pastor. He's so good at speaking, because there are a lot of good public speakers. If you want to hear a good public speaker, open up a TED Talk or something. But let's be paying attention to the content of the pastor's message. Make sure that content, the person and work of Jesus Christ, is substitutionary, atoning death on the cross for those who will believe, is what he's preaching. It's not just simply the way he sounds when he preaches, if he's easy on the ears, but it's the content. And we're not trying to um, throw pastors under the bus. No. So we are pastors. We're pro-pastor. Please pray for pastors. Pray for your pastor. Uh, And if you are a pastor, don't sound like Fosdick. Don't talk a lot about Jesus and his example and all of these timeless truths from the Bible. Uh, I'll admit to you, I've been that person before, ignorantly, uh, but it's not Christian preaching. Christian preaching has Christ at the center, and it's what he's done on our behalf. And so in all sincerity, we do love pastors. We want to encourage you if you are a pastor, and if you're not one, please pray for us, pray for other pastors, but let's learn from Machen and realize that what is being sold today oftentimes or what we're thinking is Christian actually is not. It's actually more like liberalism, and we don't want to be those people. You may have to rethink your homiletics and how you were taught to preach, uh, but that's needed. It's actually necessary. Yeah. So let's continue marching on in the chapter where Machen not only focuses on the local church, but he also focuses on missions. And money. Missions and money. So much of all of this seems to have to do with money sometimes, unfortunately. So in part, the historical matter that's going on here and has gone on and continues to go on is the fact that you have missionaries who don't believe the gospel. You have missionaries who think the church's message is it's nice to be nice, follow the golden rule, and things like that. And people are giving their money, and they think, uh, because they're gospel believers as members of local congregations, they think by giving and sacrificing uh, their money, the person off in 
whatever country it is, uh, or across the city, is promoting and defending the gospel truth, when in reality, uh, there are dollars going to people who don't believe the gospel, who are undermining the gospel, and think somehow the message of the church is something other than the gospel. And Machen is all worked up about it, and rightfully so. It's another matter of integrity uh, when it comes to people giving, thinking it's for promoting and protecting the gospel uh, so that sinners might be saved and Christ might be exalted. But instead, what they're giving to is something else. It's some kind of lame cultural transformation that's not actually transformative, uh, or they might as well be, be giving their money to some other kind of philanthropic organization right. instead of the church, which is fine and good, but let's be honest about what we're doing. Yeah. Machen writes, the funds of the evangelical churches are held under a very definite trust. They are committed to the various bodies for the propagation of the gospel as set forth in the Bible and in the confessions of faith, to devote them to any other purpose, even though that other purpose should be in itself far more desirable would be a violation of trust. More desirable some, right? Yes, right. That's a violation of trust. That's good. Keep going. It must be admitted that the present situation is anomalous. Funds dedicated to the propagation of the gospel by godly men and women of previous generations or given by thoroughly evangelical congregations today are in nearly all the churches being used partly in the propagation of what is diametrically opposed to the evangelical faith. Diametrically opposed. It's back. It's back. I think maybe he says it seven or eight times in the book. I'm not sure. But this sort of thinking came to mind the other day when I watched a video of a chapel uh, from an evangelical seminary. And the president was going on and on with all of this crazy leftist wokeism drivel. And it made me think how sad that Little old ladies, Mm -hmm. um, uh, kind little old gentlemen, if you will, uh, gave thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to that institution because at one point in time it was known for training men for pastoral ministry who would preach the gospel. Yeah. And now look what it's being, uh, now, now, now look how far they've drifted with their message. Um, and it's simply not honest. Those dollars were given for a certain task, a specific task. And I realize that's not missions. It's a seminary. But the example still holds. If somehow we're supporting missionaries and giving sacrificially to support them, if they're Christian missionaries, we want them to believe the gospel yeah. and promote the gospel, the propagation of the gospel, as he says. And if we're telling people that's what their money is going toward and it's not, then that's sinful. Yeah. So let's be honest. So, Pat, do you think this goes on today with missions and the money? I certainly think that it does. Uh, I'm thankful for godly missionaries who are Christian and they're distinctly Christian in what they're promoting and defending. But surely there are all kinds of people who don't actually either believe the gospel themselves, so we have unregenerate missionaries, mm-hmm. or they don't think their calling is the narrow calling that the Bible gives us sure, yeah. uh, to make disciples. And so disciples of Jesus, by first and foremost, believing what he said, and he said he is the one uh, who fulfills all righteousness. Yeah. So it would be a good word to the wise to learn from Machen. Uh, there are missionaries who, yes, have sacrificed. Maybe they've uh, left their homeland and gone through a lot of training and learned, learned language and all of those kinds of things. Uh, but you've got to know that if you're supporting them to promote 
Christian ministry and the Christian gospel, it would be a really good idea to make sure they believe it and a really good idea to know whether or not that's what they're actually promoting. Right. Or are they all about something else that might be good, um, but not distinctly Christian. Right. And all of this brings us back to what Machen would emphasize, and we all would know as Christians, uh, and that's the matter of people's fundamental need. What do people need most? They need to be reconciled to God. They need to be forgiven. They need to have eternal life. And faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And so first and foremost, missionaries need to be proclaimers of the good news. And those are the kind of missionaries we want to support and train. Yep. And then we finally come to Machen's conclusion of the chapter, his conclusion of the book, and it almost seems like a little bit of a downer here. In one sense, the whole book is a bit of a downer yeah. because fighting is a downer, Sure. and yet the Bible does talk about fighting for the faith and standing up for the faith because if we don't fight for it, there won't be one. Right. And so, yes, he acknowledges we're tired. He even refers to himself as tired and faithful Christians as being tired, and yet he speaks of hope and hopefulness. Yeah. And the, the the final couple of paragraphs are worth the price of the book, as we would say, mm-hmm. and they're worth reading with some passion. There are congregations, even in the present age of conflict, that are really gathered around the table of the crucified Lord. Mm-hmm. There are pastors that are pastors indeed. Yes. I like that one. Yeah. But such congregations in many cities are difficult to find. Weary with the conflicts of the world, one goes into the church to seek refreshment for the soul. And what does one find? Alas, too often, one finds only the turmoil of the world. Mm. The preacher comes forward, not out of a secret place of meditation and power, not with the authority of God's word permeating his message, not with human wisdom pushed far into the background by the glory of the cross, But with human opinions about the social problems of the hour or easy solutions to the vast problem of sin, such is the sermon, and sad indeed is the heart of the man who has come seeking peace. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that there isn't any hope. He continues and says, is there no refuge from strife? Is there no place of refreshing where a man can prepare for the battle of life? Is there no place where two or three can gather in Jesus' name to forget for the moment of all those things that divide nation from nation and race from race to forget human pride, to forget the passions of war, to forget the puzzling problems of industrial strife, and to unite in overflowing gratitude at the foot of the cross? If there be such a place then that is the house of God and that the gate of heaven. And from under the threshold of that house will go forth a river and will revive the weary world. Hmm. I said soul the first time we had to do a retake because it will also revive the weary soul. It's true. Uh, It will do both of those things. That sounds like it was written just yesterday or perhaps uh, very recently because what he's getting at is the struggle of the church so oftentimes. We don't preach Christ. We preach politics. We preach social issues. We treat the Bible as if it's a book of timeless truths designed to address every single matter in life, when in reality, it is sufficient to tell us what we need to know about life and godliness, but it is about the good news of salvation in 
Christ. Yeah, I think all too often pastors think that in order to address the needs of the people, they need to address the issues of the day to try and provide them some sort of encouragement along the way and to help them get through the difficulties and trials of life when what they really need to hear is Christ. They need to hear of the gospel. They need to be encouraged in Christ and the hope that is found in Christ and the joy that is found in Him and Him alone. That's what we need to hear when we gather together as the church. You say it every so often as we gather the church on Sundays. It's a foretaste as we gather together on Sundays, a foretaste of what it will be like one day for eternity. What a great reminder for us that the church needs to act like the church. And that means we are for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is why when we celebrate the supper, we hear the words of Jesus do this in remembrance of me. Mm-hmm. It is about him, and it is about him and his new covenant work. It is not about him and following his wonderful example of living out the golden rule. Right. It's about his sacrifice. It's about his gracious work on our behalf. Yeah. Mike, I've really enjoyed our time working through Machen's book. I've lost track of how many times I've read it, and it never seems to get old. Uh, And I certainly hope our listeners have enjoyed it, and I hope if they're not already reading the book or if they haven't ever read it, they'll pick it up and read it, and that God might use it in their lives to be distinctly Christian and to be a part of distinctly Christian churches. Certainly the world needs it. And as always, we want to thank you for joining us today on this episode, our final episode of the Marching with Machen series. We'll see you next week back here on The Pactum. 